0: Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's history class, and I am so excited today we're going to do Columbus, and I know you've all heard of Christopher Columbus, and many of you heard about things like, why did he sell one way to try to get to the other? Remember, the reason for all of this is trying to get to the east where the spices and the gold and everything is, so that he can get them at a bore of a bargain and get them back more inexpensively. But anyway, his name was Cristoforo Colombo. And what is in a name? Well, if you remember the Indian lectures, there's quite a bit in some of these names. And Cristoforo means Christ-bearer. Now, that's important, podcasters, because he took that name seriously. In other words, it meant that he would carry the news of Christ to heathen lands and that meant a voyage, an important voyage to some place unknown. Where was he born? If you get on a game show and that says Christopher Colombo was born in, just put Genoa, Italy, and you're gonna get the money. But there are several places that people claim that Columbus was born. There are several countries they claim he was born in, and one was Spain. And the reason is, many years ago, I got the Kilgore College Library to purchase Columbus's logbook. But podcasters, if you get this logbook on Amazon, get the one that has been edited. That's the one. And in the edited one, it talks about how Columbo kept his log in Spanish. He knew Spanish fluently was not very good at Italian, and by circumstantial evidence, it would seem that he was born in Spain. However, the man who got the Pulitzer Prize for writing a biography on Columbus, Dr. Samuel Eliot Morrison, and the biography, the Pulitzer Prize winning biography, Admiral of the Ocean Seas, he simply said that the reason for that was that Columbus had learned more Spanish than he knew Italian when he was growing up, and that he was born in Genoa, Italy. So as far as I'm concerned, Genoa, Italy is where he was born. He was going to sea at a young age, as many of these people were, and but he did believe that he was going to take a voyage to some unknown land. Now, to begin with, people say, that Columbus was traveling at a sail of the ocean to prove that the earth was round. And that was not true. That was a story that was written up in the 1700s, a children's story about how they believed that the earth was flat and somehow Columbus was the only one that knew it was round. They knew it was around. I've read that it was a 1,000 years before Columbus sailed. They knew the earth was round. How did they know that? Well, the easiest way to answer that question is to go down to the seacoast. I know many of you podcasters are looking to go to Galveston or someplace, and you just sit there, you picnic, whatever, and you wait until you see some ships coming in. And as you see ships coming in, what you're going to notice is that you're going to see the top of the ship first and then you're gonna see from the top down. That's because the ship is coming up around that globe. It's coming up around that globe. If the earth were flat, you would not see the ship, and then you would see it all at one time. If you get on a ship, and I will remind you that I was in the Marine Corps, and when we traveled overseas, we went by ship. So I went from California to Okinawa, across the Pacific, and I will guarantee you that I saw mountains as we were approaching land, and we saw the top of the mountain first. And then as we got closer, the top of the mountain, we see more and more and more, and then all of a sudden there is a mountain there. Astrologers looked at the stars, they knew the earth was round. So Columbus knew the earth was round. They knew the earth was round. There may have been someone in the Sahara Desert that thought it was flat, but everybody else knew that the earth was round. So why did they just go around it? Well, in the 1400s and before and after, sailing, which they called adventuring, was probably the most dangerous occupation there was. There was a rule of thumb, that when sailors left on a voyage and they came back, and these voyages lasted quite some time. How long did they last? Oh, hang on, podcasters, months. There's some voyages that will last years. Rule of thumb, if there were 100 men on that ship when they left, that would have been a large one, half are going to die half are going to die. What's killing them? One that's killing them is scurvy. That was the one called the sailor's disease. And scurvy, when I would tell this to my eighth graders, they all wanted to know what scurvy was. And scurvy is caused by the lack of vitamin C. And so if you had scurvy, and of course my eighth graders wanted to know, how do you know if you've got it? What are the symptoms and all that? And I would have fun with them. I would tell them things like, well, your arms and your legs are going to swell up. Your gums are going to start bleeding. You're going to become colorblind. And of course, they want to know, how do you prevent it? And I told them, you prevent it by vitamin C. But they didn't know that for a long time. And when they found that out, then when sailors went to sea, they took vitamin C with them, oranges, things like that, lime, lime while British sailors were called Lymies, I had an eighth grader, and I can remember this day, telling him about scurvy and really going into the detail about the pain that you couldn't cure it once you got it back in those days. And he came to class the next day with a grin on his face. And whenever an eighth grader is grinning, something is wrong, podcaster So I asked him, why are you grinning? Oh, he said, I'm not going to get no scurvy. Why not? He said he took a whole bottle of vitamin C, and something flashed through my mind right then. Headlines in the Henderson Daily paper, eighth-grader ODs on vitamin C. Teacher seems to be the one to blame. We get enough vitamin C, don't worry about it. Do not take a bottle of vitamin C. I don't know if it would hurt you, but don't do it anyway. Sailing was dangerous. If you didn't die from the scurvy water, you run out of water, you can't drink salt water. You can drink it, but it was not going to kill you. A very painful death. Storms, you name it. Sailing was very, very dangerous in those days. And with the Portuguese, it was so dangerous that they would be given a mass and promised that if they died at sea, they would automatically enter heaven. Sailing was extremely dangerous. You did not leave the side of the continents. You did not leave the side of the continents because you could get lost and you could die. So they stayed very near the continents. But anyway, Columbus believes that he's going to travel To distant lands, his name was Colombo. He's gonna travel to the distant lands. Now, he went to the Spanish first. He went to the Portuguese. He went to the English. And his plan, podcasters, was not to find a route to the east. They had that. Get your camel. Just go with your camel. it only take you about three years to get there and back if you're lucky enough to live. His plan was the shortest route. The shortest route. He was in Portugal trying to convince the king of Portugal to back his plan, and he had a map. This map was one that has, that was done to correct all of the other maps. Toscanelli was the map maker. And what he believed is all the map makers before him had the world wrong. Now, the simplest way to visualize what Toscanelli did with his map is this. You look at a map of the world. And now, looking at the map of the world, I want you You do away with North America, South America, Central America. And now here's the important thing. You do away with those. North America, you do away with those podcasters. You ready? You double the land. You double the size of the land. And that will shrink the ocean. You got that? You double the land shrink the ocean because they knew the circumference of the Earth. They were very close to the actual circumference of the Earth. So again, you double the land that shrinks the water, and guess what? If you're looking at Columbus's map, you look at the Canary Islands, and you go straight from the Canary Islands, and you know what you're going to hit? You're going to hit Japan and China, and you know how far away that is? It's what we call Jacksonville, Florida. So that when you are in Florida on Columbus's map, you are in China. Podcasters, that's doable, that's doable. Now, there are other men who are trying to get to the east by voyaging, and one of them was a man by the name of Dis, Bartholomew Dias from Portugal in 1488. He took off from Lisbon. He goes down the African continent, staying somewhat close to the edge of the continent with water, things like that. Then a storm hit. And the storm, they went out to sea, trimmed sails, and rolled the storm out. And once the storm had ended, they could not see land anywhere. This is panic time. And so the crew goes to Diaz, what are you going to do now? And Diaz says, well, there's nothing to worry about. We will just sail east. We're going to sail east. And one or two things are going to happen. We'll either see land or we won't see land. Well, where did you go to what? Naval Academy. So they sail east. And they go for about 10 days. And they did not see any land. And they come back. What are you going to do now, Dears? Oh, he said, probably swallowing, we're going to turn north. And we'll either see land or we will not see land. So they turned north. And they saw land. Now, the land they saw, Podcaster, you look down on your world map You go all the way down South Africa, and you find a place, and on that place is written the Cape of Good Hope. He named it the Cape of Good Hope, because now there's good hope of getting rich by going on over to India, but his crew had a different idea. We could have died. We could have died. We'll either see land or we won't see land and all you want to do now is cross another ocean? If you cross the other ocean, Mr. Diaz, you're going to be swimming. We'll throw you overboard. And when we get back, they'll say, what happened to Mr. Diaz? What happened to your captain? Oh, we'll say, the captain was brave. We were in a storm, and we were in a storm. And he was trying to find the directions and a wave took him overboard, and there would not be anyone in Portugal to doubt that story. What well, Diaz realized, unable to swim the Indian Ocean, he went back. When he returned to Portugal, it was like astronauts coming from the moon. Because what he has just done may not sound important. But he'd gone where no other Portuguese had ever gone before. And there was a welcoming. And one of the people that welcomed Diaz back from this voyage was Christopher Colombo, Because as one sailor to another, one adventurer, one voyager to another, he recognized what Diaz had done. But there's another reason he could celebrate I remind you, Podcaster, Columbus is looking for the shortest route to the east. And what Diaz had just done, they should have run to Columbus and said, we will back you now. That little trip to the Cape of Good Hope and back, it took a year and a half. Year and a half. Columbus's route to the east, to his map, six weeks. Six weeks. All you got to do is look at it. They turn him down. Turn him down. Why? The known is better than the unknown. At least now they know that South Africa, you can come around it. You got the Cape of Good Hope. We can plan for it. One thing about Columbus... He was not a quitter. And so now he goes back to Spain. The king and queen do not know about voyaging. You talk to them about it, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. So they had a committee, a board of admirals. You convince them, then they will come and recommend to the king and queen And so, what Columbus is going to do, he's down there with his map up on the wall showing twice the size of the continents. Look at the map. You see where the Canary Islands are. You go due west six weeks, and where are you? You know where you are. Look at the map. And the Board of Admirals turned him down. Same reason. That's the unknown. How do you know no one has done that before? You may be wrong. One of the things you do on these voyages to try to get the king and queen's backing, and this is the way it was done, Podcaster. And he reminded them, Columbus did, all the land that I discover that is unknown when I leave port automatically belongs to the country that's backing the voyage and I will discover unknown lands. You know that. And so not only will the king and queen of Spain have the shortest route to the east, they're gonna be unknown lands that will come into their possession too. They turned them down. The unknown, and also, listen to this. Wake up, Columbus, it's 1492. We already know all the lands of the world. There's nothing left out there worthy of discovery and possession. They turned him down. But one member of the board, they, he liked this man. He liked his plan. He saw the map. And so he talked to the king and queen one day when the king and queen were in a good mood at a party, and he said something like this. Isabella, you know what Christopher Colombo is asking for money-wise? About the same amount of money it costs to put on this party. About the same amount of money it costs you to throw this party. Three ships. They don't cost much and there was a ship building town that was in trouble with the king and queen and owed them a ship anyway. Podcaster, any of you buy lottery tickets? Lottery tickets. How much is a lottery ticket? Dollar. A dollar. Can you afford a dollar for a lottery ticket? If you win, What are you gonna win? A million? I've heard people don't even do it anymore because a million is nothing. 200 million? Let's just go with 100 million. You want to? Let's do 100 million, Courtney, $100 million. You put in your notes a lottery ticket, $1, $100 million. Would you risk it? $1? Oh, you may not win, you know that, but by golly, it's only one dollar. It's only three parties. Are not three parties worth risking to get the treasures of the East? We'll do it. We'll do it. So they decided they would back Cristoforo Colombo on his voyage. When they told Christopher Columbus this, I think most people would assume that he's gonna jump up and down with happiness. Oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I'm so glad. He's in the driver's seat now. And so, what he said was something like this. I'm the one that's risking my life. All you're doing is risking three parties. I would take this voyage of discovery for you if you do three things for me. One. I want to be known with the rank Admiral of the Ocean Seas. Admiral of the Ocean Seas. Why, Admiral of the Ocean Seas? This was a man that was born in poverty. No one is quite sure where he was born or when he was born. We would say today, he was born a nobody. One of my little sayings is, who were ye before you were famous? Podcasters. To be admiral of the ocean seas is about as fine as what Columbo ever, ever dreamed of. That's one. Two. I am going to discover lands. You know that. You know that. And I want to be the governor of all the lands that I discover for life. And when I die, my son will be. As long as there is a clumbo alive, that man will be the governor of all the lands that I discover. Number three. Hang on, podcasters. Number three, I want 10% of everything. I'm going to find treasure. I want 10% of that. And I want 10% of every ship that uses my route to go to the east and what they bring back. You do those three things for me, I'll sell your voyage of discovery. Now, when I was teaching, I would ask, The class, the students, what do you think the king and queen said? And they all no, 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 that's that's too much? Too much? Let's look at this again. You can be Admiral of the Ocean Sea. You can be whatever you want to be because we're the king and the queen. We outrank you no matter what. Number two. You want to be governor of little dinky islands that no one else would want to get near? Now we've taken care of the political control of that. Thank you, Mr. Colombo. And the last one, you get 10%? 10 from 100 is 90, is that right, Courtney? We get 90%. Podcasters, that was his contract. Christopher Colombo was sold under contract. There was a book. The library had so many of them, they gave them away one day. Had them stacked up on the free stack. And I'm proud to say some of the students, when I told them about them, went and got them. It was a book, I believe, over 1,000 pages easy. And it was documents of U.S. history. And the very first document was the contract Columbus sailed under. So, okay, he's going to do that. The other thing, another myth, is that no one wanted to sail with him because, again, as I said, they thought the earth was flat. We already know that's not true. And that they had to go up to the prisons and get prisoners to come down. Not true. Can you imagine needing someone to... Ride in the space shuttle, and no one wants to do it. So, you go to Huntsville Penitentiary and you get a lifer out of there. What's he know about it? He had experienced crewmen. Now, there was some reluctance to go, but the reluctance was very real. The fear was very real. We already talked about scurvy, but where is Columbo going? He is going where no one has ever gone before. Oh my gosh, it sounds like a movie. fear of the unknown. He had trouble getting sailors until two brothers agreed to go with him, the Pinson brothers. And in the bars in the taverns, where sailors hang out, drinking, they told these sailors, we'll take care of you. We'll take care of you. Why, we'll take care of you well Colombo is an Italian. He's an Italian he may speak Spanish fluently, but he's an Italian. We're Spaniards. Well Spaniards will take care of you. He had little trouble getting a crew. And the number of people he got was about ninety-five. About ninety-five. Any podcaster know the name of his ships? Debbie, you know? Bronze Star, do you know? I know Todd knows. Just in case you don't, or maybe you had a blank in the mind, we got the Nina, the Penta, and the Santa Maria. The Nina, the Penta, and the Santa Maria. Podcasters, how large were these ships? I know that some of you have taken these luxury cruises Ridden down in the Caribbean. Some of you may have gone up to Alaska. Oh, podcaster. Don't even think like that when you think of Columbus's ships. I have read that one of these ships was about the size. Now we're talking about the living space walking back and forth on the deck. Hang on, podcasters. We're talking about going to a parking lot. Let's go to Brookshire's. You want to? And you parallel park, and you take up one and a half parking spots. You hear what I said? One and a half parking spots. These things were incredibly small like a little cork out in the ocean. How much did they weigh? It always amazed me, the weight and how they would float. The Santa Maria, which was the largest, would displace 150 tons of water. Now, you know what displacement of water is, in case you don't, I learned that in a watered-down physics course, that math majors would not be allowed to take, nor minors. That was my type of physics course, and I still barely made a C. But I learned things, podcaster. And the displacement of water that a ship will float when it displaces the same amount of water of its weight. So apparently the Santa Maria was 150 tons, the largest. Now, I always try to take care of you. You get on a game show or you're riding around East Texas and a radio announcer says, I got two tickets to give away to whatever you want to go to. Be the 14th caller to call in and tell me which of Columbus's ships were the largest, Santa Maria. Remember, it's the one with two names, Santa Maria. It was the largest. Now, you want more tickets? Here we go again. Of the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, which one was Columbus's flagship? Easy, podcasters. The largest, Santa Maria. You want to get a tough one? You want to get a tough one? That was not Columbus's favorite ship. He didn't like the Santa Maria. That was his flagship, but he did not like it. The one he liked was the Pinta. That's the one he liked. Those are the three ships. Now, I do like to share, I do like to share stories from days when I was teaching face-to-face. And there were always those students that whenever I would ask them to name a ship, this one student, it was always the Mayflower, the Mayflower, the Mayflower, the Mayflower. And one day I politely said, why do you keep saying the Mayflower? Oh, he said, because one day you're going to ask what was the name of a ship, and the Mayflower's going to be the right one, and I'm going to be the one that gets it correct. There were other ships than the Mayflower, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. So those were his three ships. He leaves Spain in August, and he's joined to the Canary Islands by Casters. To go from Spain to the Canary Islands is not very far. I think I've already mentioned that voyaging, sailing the ocean sea, was dangerous. They had storms. They had storms between Spain and the Canary Islands, and he had to put into the Canary Islands to repair his ships. And one other thing, too. One other thing. I have to tell you this. One of the ships, I think it was a Nina. I'm not, I think it was a Nina. A sailor got upset about something. Upset. Somebody said something that he did not like, apparently. Now, I wasn't in the Navy. I don't know all this Navy terminology. Oh, I know the port and the starboard. I know all that stuff. But I'm talking about the poop deck what I call the steering wheel, okay? The steering wheel. You've seen it in the movies. This sailor, they got his feelings hurt about something, decided that he would just show them, and he somehow ripped that steering wheel off and threw it overboard. Podcaster, if you're driving along in East Texas and you're doing the speed limit, and you are not doing the speed limit, I know that, you're doing 70 and somebody in that car says something you don't like or something on the radio, and you get mad, and you pull that steering wheel off and throw it out of that window, don't do it. They had lost that rudder. That's one of the things that they had to repair. And I'm sure Columbus told them, if you get upset about something, do not throw the steering wheel overboard. You understand? There's some things that sailors should not do, They go into the Canary Islands, repair the ships. Have you ever heard that sailors have a girl in every port? I've heard that. Apparently, Columbus did. He was a sailor, and there was a girl in the Canary Islands. And he went to see her. Even after his ships had been repaired, he was not ready to leave. And I believe the reason was, here he was with this girl, and all of his life he'd never, ever, ever, ever had the distinction of being the commander that he had at this time. And he could take that girl and they could walk down the docks and he could look at those three ships and he could ask that girl, you see those three ships? Who do you think is the commander of all three of them? Who do you think is the admiral of the ocean sea? Podcaster, this man is somebody for the first time in his life, and he was enjoying it. But this is the voyage of his life. He's going to leave. All right, podcaster, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember something, his map, his belief about where the East is, where China and Japan is, the Canary Islands, you go due West, six weeks, six weeks, six weekish, I-S-H, weekish, you can't miss it. I like analogies. I'm going to give you an analogy. You're getting some gas. A car pulls up next to you and asks you a question. Rolls down the window and asks you a question. You're in Kilgore, Texas. How do I get to Dallas from here? How do I get to Dallas from here? You're a nice podcaster. So you simply say, Just go down 259 until you get to I-20, take a left, and you're going to travel, because I don't know how fast you go, but you're going to go the speed limit, I'm sure, and you're going to go on I-20, you're going to hit 80, you're going to take a right on 80 after about two and a half hours. You're going to see these tall buildings in front of you. Okay, so... That'd be Dallas. So you get on the I 20, you take a ride on 80, two and a half hours, you see these tall buildings in front of you. Where do you think you are a podcaster? Tatum? Everything is exactly the way that person said. You go due west from the Canaries for six weeks, and you will be where? Not Jacksonville, Florida. The reason this is important is it fits exactly what he believed. He left Spain on August 23rd. But he leaves the Canaries on September the 6th. September the 6th. Now, a few of the things that happened on the voyage. Remember, they're going where no one had ever gone before. That can be terrifying. An analogy? You're in a spaceship. You've traveled faster than any person had ever traveled before. You passed the moon. And you're still going. You're still going. You're in another galaxy. And you're still going. They left on September the 6th. Now, a few of the things that's going to happen. At first, the wind was perfect. It was blowing from the east to the west, and those ships were moving through that water. Oh, my gosh, those ships were going. Everything was lovely, 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 lovely. Everything was lovely, and for several days, the wind blew from east to west. And it continued blowing from east to west, east to west, east to west. Anything scary, podcaster? You see anything frightening about this? It terrified them. And when they got terrified, they came to Christopher Colombo. So here they go, pitter patter little feet. And what do they see? The wind has been blowing from east to west every since we left the Canary Islands, what are you going to do about it? Columbus was going to use several different tactics. One is, he is going to show them how ridiculous these fears are. For example, he would say something like, okay, I want to make sure I get this down in the log just right so when the king and queen look at it, they will know exactly what is scaring you. You're terrified, I believe that is the right word, because the wind is blowing. Oh, I'm sorry, it's blowing in the direction we want it to blow in. You sailors have sailed for years you need to be on your knees thanking God for favorable wind, not running around panicking. Well, maybe he's right, maybe he's right. But if the wind blows from east to west all the time, how are we going to get back to Spain? And Columbus told them, it's favorable wind, sailors. There's no place on this earth where wind only blows in one direction. I want to make sure that you understand this will be in the log book. So when I get back, and we will get back, and I bring the treasures of the East, and the king and queen ask, Oh, Colombo, what did you think about that Spanish crew? And I tell them, you know what I think about them? The first thing that terrified them is the wind was blowing in the direction that we needed the wind to blow from east to west, and they thought the wind would never change direction. You want that in my log book? Use your head, think. But he said, he said, he said, he said, don't listen to him anymore. Well, not long after that, the wind stopped blowing from east to west, and those ships stopped. If you have wind power, and the power of the wind ain't there, and that ocean looked like glass, those three ships were just sitting there. And he started talking, there is a place on this earth where the wind never blows, It's called the frozen sea, and we are there in the frozen sea. We are going to die in the frozen sea. The pitter-patter of little feet running back to Columbus. He said there's a place on this earth where the wind never blows, and that's where we are. It's called the frozen sea. If you didn't know, it's the frozen sea. Once more, Columbus looked at him. What do you expect me to do about it? I want to make sure you understand it's going in the log, that the king and queen, how was that crew? Oh, first they were scared because the wind was blowing in the right direction we needed, and then when the wind stopped blowing, oh, you think they weren't scared? Oh, my gosh. It's a calm sea. You've been in calm seas before. Don't listen to him. All right, Wind starts blowing, ships start moving. Wind is favorable. And he started talking again. We're going too fast. We're going too fast. So here they come back to Columbus. We're going too fast. Podcasters, you read the book, Admiral of the Ocean Sea. You get his logbook. You get any books on his voyage. You can tell how fast he was going—twenty-five miles a day, thirty miles a day—and Admiral of the Ocean Sea. He will tell you how he knew this. And so you say to these people, "What are you talking? Well, we're going too fast. We're going way too fast." How fast do you think we're going? Well, he said, by looking out there at the water, he thought we'd gone maybe 35 miles since the sun came up. What Columbus said? What? 35 miles since the sun came up? That's what he said. We have not gone 20 miles since the sun came up. And podcaster, why are they worried about going too fast? The analogy that I like: summertime. get old summertime. Everybody's having fun in the summertime. All year long, you wait for the summertime. And this summer, where do you go? You go down to Galveston, where the crank wall were. And you are going into that water. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be so much fun. You jump in that water, and you're just so happy. You swim out, you swim out, you swim out, and you swim out. And you get tired, and you turn around. Now you got to go back. For every mile, those ships sail West. They got to get back. Will the wind be favorable? How much food do you have? We're going too fast. Columbus said, no, we've not made more than 20 miles since the sun. And then one of them said, show us your logbook. What? Show us the logbook. We don't believe you. Every day you have to write down the distance. The log book is for my eyes. No, we want to see that log book. Or else, and you don't want to know what else. Well Columbus said, Okay, you wanna see it. So he took a few of them down to his cabin, opened that log book, and in that log book he had written, Today, fifteen miles. 15, not 35. We just thought we'd go, yes, see, see, see? You're up there on that deck, you're looking out there at the water, you think we're going a lot faster than we are, you look here at the law book, you see what I wrote? Don't listen to him anymore. We thought, don't stop and listen to him. You stop begging they so went up. Columbus locked the door. They went over to his bunk. He pulled a trunk out from underneath the bunk, and he unlocked that trunk. And he took another logbook out. In this logbook, he wrote, Today, we went 45 miles further than any day that we have traveled so far and he closed that law book, locked it back in the trunk. He kept two law books, podcasters. One full of lies for Spanish eyes and the one that had the truth. They continued. They start seeing things like floating limbs, leaves. Columbus doesn't even slow down. Now they come running back. You're passing the island of Japan. We're passing it. We're going around the world a second time. What Columbus told them was this. All these little signs, these little objects you've seen, they're from dinky little islands. If I try to find every dick little island out here, we never will get to the east. You don't just miss Japan, the first gigantic island on the right. We'll keep going. You turn. Back. Back to Spain. What? We've gone further than any human has ever gone on the ocean, the sea of darkness, into the unknown. It's time to go back. No, no. Podcasters, this is when Columbus's life was in the most danger. Remember what they told this? How far can you swim? And then something happened. This changes the history of the world, podcasters. This changes the history of the world. What was it? It's something that you see every day and you don't think anything about it. What was it that changed the history of the world that you see every day? While they were standing on the deck of that ship and Columbus's life was in danger. A flock of birds flew over. I'm going to say that again, podcaster. A flock of birds flew over. And where were they going? To the southwest. And as Samuel Ed Morrison said, birds know their business. Those birds are going to land. And so what the crew said, you follow those birds. Podcaster, I'm gonna tell you something. What's gonna happen now, there's several different stories. This is the one. He said he would follow the direction of those birds for three days. That's what they wanted. And if they do not find land in three days going to the southwest, then he will go back to the west. He's not going back, he's going back to the west. So they turned, they started going for three days. Closer and closer to land. Birds. Limbs floating in the water. Signs of land everywhere. The king and queen had offered a small reward for the man that saw land first after the Canary Islands. All the sailors are wide awake and they're searching to see that land first to get that little reward. And one of them, yells, land, land to the starboard, land to the starboard. And so the ships turn. You know what that land was? It was a cloud. It floats up into the air. I've seen that, podcasters. I was on that troop ship many years ago. We would see clouds on the horizon and they looked like mountains. And then they would just take off and they're floating up in the air. Land, land, to the port, to the port. Oh, it's another little cloud land in the star. And Columbus finally told them, "You shut up." We're going to have new rules in the land spotting game. The next sailor that says there's land and it's a cloud, you're not getting the reward even if you spot land. Podcaster. These clouds look just like the tops of mountains. And I have a feeling that every Spanish sailor on those ships was just choking on his words. But they didn't keep zigzagging anymore. What day did Columbus discover America? What day is Columbus Day? Well, now it's on the Monday, of course. October the 12th. I'm going to tell you something, podcasters. If you want to know the date that Columbus discovered America, it was on the evening of October the 11th. They were so near land, they were sitting there in the dark, and they felt that as soon as daylight came, they would see that land, and every sailor was awake. Columbus was up on the deck where captains stayed. Admirals of the Ocean Sea stay looked out in the darkness and he saw something and it disappeared it was a light he saw it now it's gone he saw it now it's gone it's on 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 on, off 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 on. so he called a sailor up look in the darkness and tell me what you see well, there's a light there's a light oh it's gone it's on. It's off. Off, 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 on. Call another one up. There's a light. It's on. It's off. It's on. It's on. When daylight comes, I will ask you to repeat this. And so when daylight comes, I sailor in the Crow's Nest, yelled, "Land!" i disclaim my reward. And Columbus said, not so fast. First mate. Oh. The Admiral of the Ocean Sea had us look into the darkness and we saw land, we saw light. It went on, it went off. Second mate, on, off, on, off, on, off. And Columbus said that light was a torch obviously carried by a savage and it appeared to come on when he walked between buildings and trees and off when he walked behind them. He discovered land on October the 11th. He would take that little reward himself. Where was it? Every person that's written about this voyage have this place different. You can look in the law book, and the one to look at again is the law book that has been edited. But as far as we're concerned, where he was looking, he's going to name San Salvador. Holy Savior, because it saved his life. They come ashore. Where do they think they are? I've got to emphasize this. Remember his map? Remember the book, Sir Marco Polo's Travels? Travels, he's got that book. And in the book of Sir Marco Polo, Polo mentioned G-O-L-D, gold, 133 terms. Podcasters, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that gold. These Indians, and they were called Indians because he believes that he's in the Indies. They have tiny trinkets of gold. What this convinces Columbus of is they are very near China. They're very near Japan. He then travels from there. He discovers Cuba. Cuba, two things. Cigars. Cigars. The Indians were smoking cigars. And on Cuba, the Santa Maria wrecked. Now, we're not going to go into every little place that he went. He believes that he has not hit Japan. He's not hit China but he's found land near there. And what he's gonna do, he's got to have proof to go back and show the king and queen that he was right. He's got trinkets of gold, he has birds, and he takes some Indians. These Indians. He said that the Indians were very intelligent. They will make slaves good slaves. Columbus is going to introduce slavery to America. Maybe that's the reason people protest Columbus Day being celebrated. Or is it because of what happened to the Native Americans? Let me tell you something, podcaster. That was a different world. I'm not justifying it. There was a movie. The name of the movie, Chicago, a musical. I thought it was good. And in that musical, of the ladies that are in jail, in prison, there's a song that one of them sings. They tell what their boyfriend had done and said. If you'd have been there, you'd have done it too. And what would you have done too? Kill him. Kill them. The world Columbus lived in, you were a Christian and a Catholic, or you were a heathen, you were a savage. You had no religion. And you're going to hell. What Columbus is going to do is you're going to make a deal with them without them knowing about it. You could become a slave, and we will teach you the true religion. We will baptize you, and then you would die and go to heaven for eternity, or we leave you here and you go to hell. Now, for eternity in heaven, a small price to be paying is servitude. This was a different world. Did any of you see the movies that came out in 1998 to celebrate Columbus? I didn't. I saw the beginning of one, and as he was walking through the streets of Spain, they had women tied to stakes because they were going to burn them alive. Witchcraft. And Columbus didn't even give them a second look. These savages, and by the way, I don't know about Columbus, but later on the French will call them savages, meaning they were not Christians. They were not Europeans. This is to prove to the king and queen that he is where he said he would be. Santa Maria has shipwrecked. The Penzons take off ahead of him to get back and claim that they're the ones that discovered this new land. Podcaster, if you ever get on a game show or there's a radio station that says that you can get whatever your heart desires, if you can tell me this, who was the greatest sailor that ever sailed the ocean blue? And you answer whatever way that game show wants. Christopher Columbus. And then we're going to ratchet up. Why was he the greatest? Because he discovered America? No. No. America would have been discovered eventually. Look at the map, podcaster. How can you sail west and miss that thing? That's like saying you got a friend. Boy, does that friend know how to shoot a rifle? How good a shot is he? Oh my gosh. One day, he went inside a barn and he closed the door. Are you ready? He put a blindfold on so he couldn't see anything. And he took that shotgun and he fired and hit the side of that barn. Boy, he's a good shot. Columbus discovered America. Podcaster. I'm going to tell you why Columbus was the greatest sailor that ever sailed. When you look at the distance that he said he had traveled from the Canary Islands to San Salvador, he was barely off. He almost was exact. Second. And here it is how to get back to Spain. You look at a map of Columbus's first voyage. He's not zigzagging all over the ocean like a lost sailor. He's the greatest sailor that ever sailed because he got back to Spain. Now that voyage coming over, good weather. Everything was going fine except in the mines of the Spanish sailors. Not on the voyage back. He hit storms podcasters. One of the storms that he hit, he was so sure that ship was gonna sink, he took paper and wrote down information about where he had been, and he put it in a wooden barrel, and he threw it overboard, sort like a note in a bottle. Several hundred years later, they claimed that barrel was found. And that note had been in perfect English. <laughs> Excuse me for chocolate. They put into the Azores to repair their ships. Then they leave the Azores, and they hit more storms, and he can't even make it back to Spain. He puts into Portugal. Into Portugal. And as the Portuguese sailors are coming out to see who's flying these Spanish flags... Guess who one of them is? Dias. Dias. Columbus had welcomed Dias back from his ship around the tip of South Africa. Now Dias is welcoming Columbo back. And I just wondered what Colombo said to him. He goes in he sees this Portuguese king. Did he say things like, you could have backed me. Because you know where I've been? I've been to the east. When was Columbus's life in the most danger? On the ocean? With the storms? When the crew mutinied? Or in the Portuguese court because the Portuguese king had thought about cutting his throat, killing Columbus and the crew, and then they would have that route. Reasons I cannot explain, he did not do it. He thought about it. He talked about it. I don't think Columbus ever knew how close he came to death. He gets back to Spain, and you talk about being the hero of the day. That is Christopher Colombo. And what does he believe? They made it to Japan? He made it to China? No. He's almost there. He's almost there. With all the trouble it took, to get that first voyage. Snap your fingers, Columbus. Snap your fingers. He got 17 ships, about 1,500 men. Now, podcasters, I'm not going to go into any more Columbus. But I'm going to tell you this. When I do speak of Columbus to people, when I don't do this a lot, they're amazed when I tell them this. He made... Four voyages to America. One, two, three, four. Four voyages to America. Each voyage was trying to make it to the east. You can read books about these voyages. Admiral of the Ocean Sea, printed in 1939, one the Pulitzer about 1941. There are others. So just for a little summary, on his second voyage, he comes back. And again, he's not going to China or anything like that. And he's in chains. Because he was arrested by someone who then had made up words and used words to put him in chains accused him of crimes he did not do. King and queen let him go. He goes back. He comes along Venezuela. He spots America. He goes back on a fourth voyage. His ship sinks, and he's stranded for a year in Panama. Where does he think he is? And his favor and his status decreased every time he came back because the Portuguese had already made it to India. Vasco da Gama, 1497, had made it to India. What Columbus believed was that he had discovered an unknown continent, unknown land, that was blocking the Spanish from getting to China and to Japan. They believed eventually there was an opening in that landmass. There was a strait. And in the south of America, they called it the Strait of Anaheim. In the north, it was a Northwest Passage. Because it had to be a watery opening where you could sail through this unknown continent and make it to the east. And there will be many explorers that are going to look for those passages, podcasters. Many of them. So that's Columbus. Christopher Colombo. He was cruel to the Indians. He enslaved them. He killed them. Others were doing that, too. You want to cancel Columbus Day? That's up to you. I would also say this, and I'm going to close with this. I have these two coins. they when I taught in 1302. And I went in there for the first lecture. And if you took my 1302 within the last few years, you might remember that on the lecture guide the study guide, there was Mahan's influence, Turner's thesis, and I told you about Turner, Turner's influence, the influence of, that was at the Columbian Exposition. The very first U.S. commemorative coin was issued in 1892 to commemorate Columbus's 400th voyage. And if you're a coin collector, or you can do this. You can go down or order on Amazon and go to a bookstore and get what's called the Red Book of Coins. And podcasters, they have in color a photograph of every coin the United States has ever had. And if you have some old coins at home, Indian Head pennies or something, how much are they worth? It'll kind of give you an idea. But you look down at commemoratives. You go through that book. And you look at commemoratives, and the first commemorative on the obverse is a profile of Columbus, and on the reverse is the Santa Maria. The reason I took that into class in my 1302 history for Turner's influence. There are two of these coins. One was 1892, one was 1893. Columbus discovered America in 1892. But those coins were made to help finance that fair, and the fair took a little while to open so that it could come out with another one in 1893. That was Columbus, Christopher O. Colombo. And what that is going to do is going to open up floodgate.) <clears throat> A floodgate of Spanish looking for gold. And we're going to call them Conquistadors. And the next Mr. Stroud's history class lecture will be on Conquistadors. Have a good one.